series called Your Word in My Heart. And I'm going to talk about Isaiah 33, verses 5 and 6, and God being my sure foundation. Some of you know that we lived in Papua New Guinea over 30 years ago. So it's just a nice rounding off that God has brought Paul back, and hopefully I'll go maybe in July. More of you are probably aware that 10 years ago we went to live in New Zealand. A few months before we left Northern Ireland to go and live in New Zealand, God impressed these verses on me. Isaiah 33, verses 5 and 6. The Lord is exalted, for he dwells on high. He will fill Zion with justice and righteousness. He will be the sure foundation for your times. A rich store of salvation and wisdom and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. They made such an impact on me that I put a date beside them in the margin of my Bible. Why did they make such an impact? Well, God often uses words, phrases, verses and passages from the Bible to speak to me. His spirit within me whispers or nudges or gives me a good dig right into me as if to say, this is for you, Christine Fleming. Sit up and take notice. Now, this isn't a unique phenomenon. I think there are many of you listening to this this morning who will say, I know just what you mean. That's what happens, me too. I knew that God was speaking specifically to me. And he does to you too. Every phrase in those verses was and is meaningful to me. And there are three which I will explore a little this morning. The key phrase which impacted me most strongly at the time was, he will be the sure foundation for your times. The context for that, however, is that the Lord is exalted for he dwells on high. He reminded me of who he is. And this reminds me of a bigger picture and a greater time scale than my little time on earth at the end of the 20th century and the beginning of the 21st. My God, your God, our God is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He is the Lord and there is no other he is a righteous God and a saviour. He alone stretched out the heavens. He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. He is sovereign over all the nations. No one can deliver out of his hands. When he acts, who can reverse it? He is the first and the last. He is God and there is no other. He is God and there is no one like him. He makes known the end from the beginning, from ancient times what is still to come. He says, my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. What I have said, that will I bring about. What I have planned, that will I do. And if you'd like to say amen, you can say amen. Because all of those words 
aren't mine. All of those words are just some of the ways that Isaiah describes God. We have a God who is bigger, more powerful and more majestic than we can ever imagine. He is directing history and we can only see a little part of that. If we can't see God at work in our little part of history, then that's because we aren't God. And I love the word dwells. For me, it conveys permanence. God will always dwell on high. No one and nothing is ever going to shift him from his exalted place. Yet doesn't it make it even more amazing that this God should have chosen to become a human being, a man called Jesus, to live on earth for a while and become our saviour? We left Northern Ireland at the end of 2009, or for me, the beginning of 2010, to go to New Zealand. I was prepared to go. I was willing to go, uh, or at least I thought I was. (laughs) Sometimes words, particularly in songs and hymns, seemed to stick in my throat. Words like, wherever he leads me, I will go. Or, all of my ambitions, hopes and plans, I surrender these into your hands. Throughout 2009, I felt God was stripping everything away from me. I was leaving my home with its views of the Dramara Hills and the Moran Mountains. I was leaving my family and my friends, which is always hard, but my mum had passed away at the end of 2008, and I was still grieving for her and very concerned about my dad. I was leaving my church behind, And it was going through a particularly hard time. Some of you remember that. Did God not want me to stay and help to see it through those rocky months and years? I had been teaching special needs children in a primary school, a job that I loved, but which took every ounce or gram of my physical and mental energy. And I had to resign from my job. I felt God was stripping away even my identity to a degree because I was only getting a visa to live in New Zealand because I was married to Paul. (laughs) I wasn't getting a visa in my own right. They didn't need any more primary school teachers and we were both verging on being too old to be on the wanted list for employment. Paul actually got his visa within about three days of the cutoff date. Things were happening to me and around me, and I had no control over them. But these verses promised me security and promised me his presence. And into this sea of uncertainty and period of waiting and loss and grief, God spoke comfort and reassured me. My security was in him My identity was in him, not in being a wife, a daughter, a cousin, a sister, a friend, a teacher or church secretary. I was and am a daughter of the king. My king was telling me that he would be there for me in the days that lay ahead. My king knew what lay ahead for me and he was promising to be there beside me, but also underneath me supporting me. To my perspective, it seemed throughout 2009 as if I was walking on a surging sea. 
God's perspective and his view of the future was one of certainty and security. He himself was my foundation. David talks in Psalm 40 of God setting his feet upon a rock and giving him a firm place to stand. Stability, security, assurance. Now, I may not know exactly what you are going through or what you are facing or what you have lived through or what you are currently living with. And my experience may not compare with yours. But I think it's a wee bit like a brook joining a stream which becomes a river and then flows into the sea, that what I am saying about God is joining the stream and river of countless people down through the ages who have found God to be loving and faithful and steadfast, who in the midst of great adversity and deep sorrow, grave loss, pain, confusion and dismay, they have found God to be an ever-present help in their trouble, comforting them, reassuring them with his presence, speaking peace into their troubled hearts and minds, and giving them courage to face the future. His words of promise to be the sure foundation of my times gave me courage and steadied me. They also reminded me who was really in control. It was not my circumstances. It was not an interview panel in a university in New Zealand. It was not a visa section in New Zealand immigration. He reminded me that he was in control and invited me to trust him. I didn't feel in control and I wasn't, but he reminded me that he was. Those of you who know me know that I like to be organized that I plan ahead, that I have a plan B, C, D, and maybe even E ready should plan A fall apart. I couldn't really formulate a plan A at that time. There were just too many variables. It's a bit like that this year as well. God was telling me that he had it all sorted and was asking me to trust him. Now, how do you go about trusting God? Currently, I'm in the middle of a situation where I have to trust a removals company with sending some of our household goods to Papua New Guinea. Before I chose this company, I did my research. I did an online search and I read about them. I read the testimonials. I made some inquiries. They emailed me and spoke to me over the phone. They began to understand my needs and requirements and I began step by step to trust them. It is an ongoing relationship in an ongoing process. And I'm glad to relate that we have reached the stage where a courier is due to collect all the boxes tomorrow. They will then be air freighted to Papua New Guinea and that should take seven to 10 days. And my husband will greet their safe arrival with great joy as he will no longer be living out of a suitcase. Now, do I know with absolute certainty that the courier will turn up tomorrow? No. <laughs> Do I know beyond the shadow of a doubt that our goods will arrive safely? No, well, there's an even bigger question mark at that. But 
I do know that this removals company have been in business for 40 years and 20,000 people every year use their services. They are specialists in removals to the Pacific area and they've contacts in that area of the world. I've had a number of forms to fill in which show me that over the years they've developed processes and know what information they need to get our goods through customs and deliver them safely to the right address. Hopefully. This is a really inadequate analogy and it breaks down in a number of places I know. But I hope it illustrates to a degree about trusting someone. How can I trust God? Well, he is an expert on life, and it's an abundant and an everlasting life at that. He is my creator. He knows the past, the present, and the future. He has known me since before I was born, and I've known him for over 50 years. We have conversed with each other over the years. He has spoken to me, and I have talked with him. He has listened to me rather a lot. And I'm continuing to learn to listen to him. For me, he speaks into my heart and my soul and my mind. And generally, he speaks to me most directly when I'm reading the Bible. Over the years, God's love and faithfulness, presence, guidance, comfort and correction have kept me on a good pathway through life. He is my saviour, my strength, my high tower, my comfort, my joy. I could just go on and on. And I know that many of you listening to this can say the same and even more. God knows my heart and understands me. Throughout 2009, I didn't know what lay ahead of me. I had felt that I was losing home, family, friends, church and my job. God, the abundant life giver, had lined up for me a new home and the breathtaking southern Alps in the South Island of New Zealand and they leave the morns, not even looking like foothills. <laughs> Renewed and deepening relationships with family members in both Australia and New Zealand. So that's my, one of my Australian cousins in the middle there. We went jet boating. I was terrified out of my life, but it was brilliant. New friends and a new church family and a home group and the opportunity to be involved in a literacy project in Indonesia, creating pre-literacy materials for children in the slums of Jakarta. I couldn't have written it. It was amazing. None of us really knows what lies ahead of us. Life can change in an instant. Everyone in New Zealand... That's right, she never bear the sight. I think everybody knows about the Alpine Fault Line. It goes right along the spine of the South Island. New Zealanders refer to it as the big one. When the big one goes, we will know all about it, people would tell us. Well, the big one hasn't actually happened yet. Geology was one of the departments that was in Port's Port Paul's portfolio in the university in New Zealand. I think New Zealand is a geologist's idea of heaven. It's like living in the middle of all the textbooks. But the professional and personal lives of the geologists collided on the 4th of September 2010 at 4.30 in the morning 
when they, along with all the residents of the Canterbury region and beyond, were woken by a 7.1 magnitude earthquake. That was not expected and not expected in Christchurch. And you can't predict earthquakes. When you're in the middle of an earthquake of that size, you're absolutely powerless. You're not in a position to help anyone else. You're at the mercy of ground forces more powerful than anything else. And you're literally hanging on for dear life. The next day, on the 5th of September 2010, I sat on the patio at the back of our house in glorious spring sunshine, but in very eerie quietness. All the birds had flown away. It took them about six weeks to fly back. There was very, very little road traffic. The quietness was punctuated by helicopters and the occasional plane bringing relief and supplies. And Paul was wearing his high-vis vest, which would be his uniform for the next year and a half. And do you know what came into my mind? Isaiah 33, verse 5 and 6. The Lord is exalted, for he dwells on high. He will fill Zion with justice and righteousness. He will be the sure foundation for your times. A rich store of salvation and wisdom and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. It was almost exactly a year since those verses had been impressed on me. The foundations of our house had been well and truly shaken, but they'd held. The foundations of our lives had been well and truly shaken, and none of us would ever be the same. It was a defining time for everyone who experienced it and the aftermath. Researchers like to triangulate their evidence. It gives them more credibility to their findings. And there were many other passages and verses that God impressed on me over the next weeks and months, emphasizing his promises, his presence and his purposes. But for this morning, I'll mention just one. Psalm 46, 1 to 3. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. We didn't know it, but we were entering a period of years when the earth beneath us would give way hundreds, if not thousands of times, when the cliffs of the port hills to the south of Christchurch would collapse and fall onto people's houses and block roads and cause landslides which would crash into the sea, when tsunamis became a real threat. Yet here was God saying, I'll be your sure foundation. I've got you. I will help you. I will be your security. I will be your strength. Do not fear. I am here. The King of Kings, I am, is here, right in the midst of this. He would get me through. Our relationship with God, though, is not one way. He wants us to respond to him. And this was part of my response. Psalm 31, verses 14 and 15. 
but I trust in you, O Lord. I say, my times are in your hands. That verse 2 has a 2009 marked in the margin, but it had an added significance in 2010. I didn't know that there would be hundreds more earthquakes in the years to come. People sometimes ask us about the earthquake in Christchurch. Well, that slide gives you a little bit of an idea. Now, not, some of them were just known as aftershocks, but if you have a 4.9 aftershock, you'll know about it. Anything over a 10 and the university and buildings had to close and they had to do a, shock, uh, a check. I, I tried to find out how many there were in the f over those four years and I couldn't. <laughs> I don't know if anybody's counted them. But all of those are movements of the earth. I did not know that 185 people would lose their lives in the February earthquake in 2011 that 164 would be seriously injured and many, many more would be physically and mentally scarred for life. I didn't know that the city centre would basically be demolished, that it would take four years for the rubbish to be cleared and the rubble, and it would be about 20 years for the centre of the city to be rebuilt. They're in the middle of it. But now I do. And I've lived with and through the consequences of some of that. And I still say, but I trust in you, O Lord. My times are in your hands. God has proved himself to me. He is reliable. He will hold me fast throughout my life. Another part of my response is to fear the Lord. The verse says that it's a key to treasure. Fearing God doesn't mean I'm afraid of him. It has more to do with respecting him and acknowledging his greatness, holding him in awe and submitting to him. I have to confess that I find that last one the most challenging. Every day I am pulled towards running my own life, organising things my own way and acting on my own perspective. Do any of you find that too? I can say and I can sing, I lay my life down before you, Lord, and I can call him Lord. Yet I try to seize back control, put myself and my concerns first. I choose to ignore him at times, and I become so busy that I crowd out his whispers and the nudges of his spirit. Too often his thoughts are not my thoughts, and neither are his ways my ways. My plans for 2019 haven't fallen into the time scale that I would have wished for. I've prayed for people and situations and the outcomes are not what I would have desired. I've had to trust God and acknowledge that he is in control, that he is sovereign and his purposes are for good. He will not be thwarted. Shadrach, Meshach, and I learned it as Abednego, but maybe it's Abednego. They were three friends who were sentenced to death by King Nebuchadnezzar because they wouldn't bow and worship a golden statue of him. Faced with the very real threat of being thrown into a fire pit, they said in Daniel, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. 
and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. You may say, it's all very well for you. You don't know what I'm facing. Or I don't have the faith that you have or the faith that those three men had when they were facing death in a furnace. Your faith may be strong or your faith may be slender. But please do not focus on your faith. Instead, focus on God the Father. Focus on Jesus the Son. Focus on God the Holy Spirit. And get to know them more deeply. What are you feeding your soul with? And what are you filling your mind with? Store up during the smooth, good times so you have something to rely on for the rough and the bad times. Our lives as Christians are not confined to this earth or this time frame of history. Because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, our lives continue past death and the grave. In fact, I believe that's when our living will really start. No eye has seen, no ear has heard what God has prepared for those who love him. If I had been killed on the 22nd of February, 2011, I would be with Jesus now. Death does not have the final word. Jesus has conquered sin and death and hell. In preparation for this, I came across a quotation from a man called Jonathan Pugh. It was in an article entitled Feeding on God's Word. One of the great deficits in American Christianity, he says, is the problem of what many people call bumper sticker theology. This is basically the instinct we have to only learn enough about the Bible to put on a T-shirt, a bumper sticker, or to quote to a friend in a sentence. While there is certainly a place for short and pithy answers, this should not be the sum total of what we learn about God. The kind of Bible learning that creates a solid foundation and transforms lives requires a sustained, deep intake of scripture over the entire scope of life. Our new series is about God's word, hiding it in our hearts, committing it to memory, living it out. Can I encourage us to get to know God more deeply through his word, the Bible? Read it, listen to it, meditate on it, marinate in it, memorize it, study it, sing it, believe it, and act on it. Last week, I sang God's praises in the SSE arena in Belfast, along with 10,000 other people and Alan and Nicola. (laughs) And maybe some others were there, but if you were, I didn't see you. We filled the SSE arena. For me, it was a little foretaste of heaven. Many of the songs were written by Keith and Kristen Getty. What they compose is firmly based on scripture. And I'd like us to listen 
to one of these songs as I finish. It is called The Lord is My Salvation. They write hymns for congregations to sing, so you may well find that you can pick up the tune quite easily. And if so, then please join in. Thank you.